Welcome to the podcast Rise and Play. I am Sophie Vaux, your podcast host. I bring together leaders, entrepreneurs, fund makers, investors, and educators who are here to make a change in the industry. For a brighter and healthier future of the games we will make, and how we will make them. We're here to start a conversation because listening and asking the hard questions is sometimes enough to inspire change in us, to take the leap to. Let's begin. Today, I am delighted to have as my very first guest, Drusilla Holanda Grunberg, to talk about her personal journey in gaming, which led her to found her own company and game studio. Drusilla is a Brazilian games industry veteran with a background in game design and leadership from companies like Supercell, Guga, and Rovio. In Supercell, she worked both as a game lead and leading the founding of Hive Helsinki, a new kind of coding schools in Finland. Now, she is the CEO and co-founder of Papukaya, a new mobile game studio founded by Supercell, aspiring to bring the joy of gaming to new audiences. Hi, Drusilla. Really happy to have you here. How are you? Hi, Sophie. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm well. <laughs> Excited. Yeah, thanks for joining uh, this very first podcast as well for Rise and Play. I'm super excited to have you. And uh, before we get into more questions about your journey in gaming, I have a burning question myself. Um, was uh, about the new company you founded and the name Papukaya. Uh, it is very uh, foreign to me, so I was really curious about it. Where does the name come from? What does it mean? Yeah, so Papukaya is actually, it comes from the Finnish word for parrot, uh, which is surprisingly, uh, it's a very uh, diverse group of birds and they come in a variety of vibrant colors, shapes and patterns. So just the imagery of these birds was very inspiring to us. And, you know, it really resonated with us because diversity is something that we really strive for uh, in, with this company. And, uh, and, and then it wasn't just that. When we started reading about parrots, we started to learn that they have a lot of traits that were relatable to us, which is actually kind of funny. So they're, they're social and, and very playful, which we are, but also surprisingly, they're very curious. They're clever problem, solver, uh, problem solvers. They're avid learners. They thrive in communities, so they learn faster in a collaborative and supportive community. And all of that, like, just really connected to, to our idea of the company. And then on top of that, they just happen to be a very popular pet and, and great companion to, to millions of people. So we, we would hope that that would be the same for our games. So a lot of synergy there. Okay, you definitely made me curious. So I'll Google the name after to see even how the bird looked like. But that's very inspiring. And um, that leads me more than to a question as well, more about the origins of the company. So I understand that uh, you are several co-founders because you also mentioned like you were several one into looking the name. So can you walk me through how you started uh, Papukaya? When was it? And what you uh, personally made you take the leap to start your own company, given the impressive career you had in gaming? Sure. So the company uh, Papukaya was founded last year uh, in September. So in the middle of the pandemic and the jury is still out if that, if that was a good idea or not. But, and we are two founders. It's myself and Johannes Aveniemi. He's a lead programmer who has a background from, from big casual gaming companies like Rovio and Seriously. 
But uh, even though it is a young company, the idea for, for it had been brewing under for maybe a year prior. And um, the, the story behind it is there are two angles to it. So maybe I'll, I'll just start with talking about the market itself. You know, just looking at the market, we have seen in the past years that mobile gaming has been driving this massive growth uh, in the gaming market by bringing new audiences into the fold. And by new audiences, I mean like people who are not the typical gamers that, that, that we tend to think of. So, for example, you know, genders are very balanced nowadays. It's uh, between male and female. It's equally split or maybe even skewing more females. The, the majority of people playing on mobile are grown-ups. They are more likely to be parents. I think 30% nowadays are above 40. So basically, if you really think about it, the stereotype of who plays games has been blurring. It can be just anyone. And, and then on top of that, uh, I, I found this data point that showed that only 10% of the time spent on mobile is on games, just by the general population. And it just feels like there's still a lot of growth in that industry moving forward. And I, I believe that there is a massive opportunity still in tapping into even other audiences and bringing people who, for example, don't play games into the fold. And so that, that is one side of the coin, like just seeing this opportunity. And then the other side of the coin is also came as an inspiration from my last project at Supercell, which was setting up this new Finnish coding school called Hive Helsinki. In the school, uh, students, they come from diverse uh, backgrounds to, to learn how to code together and innovate. And, you know, it was a great project in the sense that I learned a lot about setting something up, even like operationally. It's a lot of things are very similar to starting a company in a way. But also it was just very inspirational to see, you know, firsthand the proof that Indeed, if you bring people together from all walks of life and who are passionate about solving different kinds of problems, then, you know, you do get to new ideas and innovation and magic happens. And if I can just give a couple of examples of that from the school. In the first year, the, some students participated in this junction hackathon, trying to, you know, create uh, app solutions for different for different challenges. One of the challenges, it was the biggest one, the biggest, most competitive one of the history of, of Junction, it was to create an app for, that addresses food sustainability issues. And the students from that group, they, they won that category. And uh, the insight for the app actually came from one of the team members who was a farmer. And so that was actually really inspiring to me. And then there was another case, another category, which was the main, main category of the night. It was to address cybersecurity issues for kids. And uh, the team that won the leader was somebody from Hive who was a kindergarten teacher. So, you know, you just start connecting these dots that there is, there, it's not just talk that when you put people from different backgrounds together that you are tapping into, you know, different ideas and, 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 and more potential. So that was just really inspiring to me. And then coming back to Supercell, that was in the back of my mind, like I'd like to see more of that in games as well. And it's not also unheard of in games you know for example i was reading a lot about nintendo they are very secretive about their culture but there there are materials out there and when i was researching i found out that actually they they have a big it's a big part of their culture for example they do like to mix experienced people with people who are newcomers to the industry maybe they're not even gamers but they're just really passionate and know a lot about other things 
And then together they believe that that's why they are able to, to keep the ideas fresh over the years. And specifically when it comes to females, the game Animal Crossing, which is very popular and it's one of the, the biggest successes that they've had on, on DS. It's a game where half of the team were females. And when they, I didn't know that. And, and, and obviously it is a game that is very popular with families and a lot of females enjoy that game. And it's funny because it's a different type of game and typical developers don't even consider it a real game, which I don't agree with, but you know, I digress. But so anyways, it has been done in games mm -hmm. as well. And I just would like to see more of it. And then when I returned to Supercell, I just brought this topic internally that, you know, I was seeing this opportunity and also maybe the way of tackling this opportunity, you know, could mean, um, you know, a new company. And it was very clear, like in our discussions that, yeah, like everybody was on board with that, that it is a massive opportunity. And also because it would be a multifaceted challenge. It's not just a matter of making one game. It's a matter of like researching new audiences and what kind of people should we build the team with? What kind of ideas should we be pursuing? What is a culture that supports that? And then it just became very clear that, you know, I would need like to be laser focused and have 100% freedom and a new company would be the best platform uh, for me to move, fail and learn fast in this uncharted territory. And then, yeah, we, from these discussions, I was able to raise funding from Supercell. And that is what allowed me to actually start searching for the right people to go on this journey with me. And then I found Johannes, uh, my, my co-founder. And then we, yeah, and then together we just have felt very empowered with their support to just, you know, think outside of the box and, and take risks. So, yeah, I'm very excited about that. It sounds like it. And it's a very inspiring journey, as you shared as well, like spending the time as well with a coding school, finding a bit more, you know, uh, your deeper why in a way, like what really drives you in this industry and taking the leap of going your own way because you were with Supercell for quite a while and uh, taking the leap to build a new company uh, really fully aligned with, you know, what uh, you have um, found, discovered through your own journey after the Hive Helsinki. So it's very inspiring. And I hope the audience as well uh, can take uh, something away from your journey. So uh, going then a bit more into uh, your why in games, because as I understand as well with your career in games, you had seen a lot until you came to this point. So um, I was curious as well, for all these years in gaming, what's still passionate, you know, um, keeps you passionate about staying in games, you know, creating this product because you have worked in High Helsinki, but not only on games, so you could have diverged to non-games, still you're in games. So why still games today? That's a, a really good question because I was asked before, for example, why didn't you stay in Hive? And I'm like, no, but I still feel like I have a vision in games that I want to accomplish. And I, I actually, something that relates to this why that was interesting to me recently was 15 years ago, when I came to Finland, I was hired by this company called Digital Chocolate, which was a mobile games company, a leading one at the time. And the founders of Supercell came from there. And I was actually 21 when I was interviewing for that company. And the first step of the interview was an email where I, where I had to actually write the answers to a bunch of questions. And I found that email. And I was curious, like reading through, and I was really shocked to see that a lot of the things I was saying when I was 21, I still feel 
the same now. I was, and I had forgotten about it. I'm like, oh, wow. And there, for example, there was this question of why games? And in my, of course, in the words that I had at the time, you know, I, I, my answer was that, and, and I'm taking this straight from the email, like games are fun and it feels rewarding to enable people to enjoy themselves while playing games. Like I've been doing since I was little. That's what I had in my, in my answer. And then I also said that like as a game designer, it just feels great to be able to provide entertainment and enjoyment for others. And I think also because I have been always like a creative person, like I like creating things. So, you know, just, I, I guess just having grown up, growing up, uh, having grown up playing games and having had it have a positive impact in my life, you know, I just had this feeling that I, I can combine like being creative and also sharing this thing that I love with others and yeah, I just, growing up, I had a, a lot of fond memories with, you know, family and friends, uh, you know, since I was nine, Master System playing Sonic the Hedgehog. I played a lot of arcades with my father and my brother, you know, even like, I remember this really stupid, like, Simpsons game that was so hard and we could never even beat the first boss because it was so hard and we we are so bad, but we just laughed. I have like these silly memories and, but then at the same time, as I grew up, I guess I started to notice that I'm very passionate about this thing and it's such a good thing in my life. But other people, there are a lot of people who either don't care for it or even have a negative attitude towards it. And at first I didn't understand why. And then later I started to notice that it, the problem is not with games themselves. It's just that, you know, that there hasn't just been enough variety for different kinds of people and their wants and their needs. And I think mobile gaming is started to change that. And that's why audiences are now more diverse. But yeah, I definitely feel there is more room, more room there. And, and that's what, what has been driving me, like to continue to, to, to broaden the reach of games to, to the general population. And that is very connected to the purpose of, of Papukaya. We say here that our purpose, or we are in business because everyone should have games they enjoy and we want to see a world where the definition of games has expanded they serve everyone and they are consumed by everyone just like social media books and movies and but yeah that, that's how everything is connected and uh the hive the hive part it was very fulfilling i'm also very passionate about the people side but also i don't feel like they're mutually exclusive so for example in the future we would be interested in hiring a student from there and we are very much big as a company on you know, how can we develop talent and find people with potential and mentor them and, and mix experienced people with newcomers, kind of like, you know, following a little bit the steps or the, the inspirations from Nintendo. And um, yeah, I, I guess I'm finding a way to combine both. Well, that sounds great. And I can relate a lot, by the way, to your childhood and experience with games. I was playing a lot also with my dad and I remember the very vivid memories of love and, you know, silliness. What games can you remember? Well, we were playing Sonic as well, but we were, I don't know, all the Sonic and Disney games, you know, like Aladdin, uh, Lion's King, uh -huh. they were amazing on, the, um, on Sega. I remember. Uh, Streets of Rage uh, as well. So I was <laughs> playing a lot with my dad uh, and my brother and sister. So I think that's, uh, that shapes you as well as an adult, like the experience of joy you have had through a different medium. And for me, like I heard for you as well, was uh, a lot through games in the family time. 
So that's, uh, I think, uh, deep in, in us, uh, what drives us to share these moments and experiences we have had when we were uh, children. Like how, how is it today to be on the product that can re revive that kind of experience and memories? But times are different. Uh, people's motivation are different. And that's the whole challenge, you know. And actually, just one note is the, that, um, you know, when I was a kid, I, I actually, my parents, they got divorced when I was nine. And I remember that my dad, he got us the master system, like right after that. And it's funny because when I think of those times, I don't feel, I, I don't actually remember bad, like bad stuff, you know, like. People, think, people ask, like, was that really traumatic? And I'm like, I just remember having, like, a lot of fun after my parents got divorced because we had, like, more quality time, like, with each. And I just had, like, these really fun memories, yes, like, with, with my dad and my brother. And so, in a way, I, I think people underplay a lot, like, the power of games also. Like, just, you know, it's not just a waste of time. It really is about connection. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. This was so... Uh... That's a personal anecdote, uh, for sure, the power of games to create, you know, this moment of joy or imaginary world where you can still, you know, have a, yeah, develop, especially as a child. So not a coincidence that you are working in games and having such a big career in games today. So it's in interesting for sure to understand as well some origins of that. So thanks for sharing. And a bit deeper than about, as we talked about your mission, actually, your why you created this company, I was curious a bit more as well about your personal values. So I can hear already some of them through what you're sharing, uh, but going a bit deeper, what are these personal values that you have and how do they reflect in the work and in the company you have built as well recently? If you could share more about that. So culture, people, you know, values. Yeah, I... That's a tough question because I guess if we really unpack, there are a lot of values. Like we all have a lot of different like principles that we go by. Something I've been thinking a lot about recently is the concept of a growth mindset that I realized that is something that I've, I've had for some time or maybe, maybe since I was young, but it's, I'm just more aware now of it, that it's this idea that, you know, I'm very curious as a person and I really enjoy challenging myself and learning new things, especially like focus on the learning part. And, you know, I like learning from other people's experience and also by trying and failing. And I feel like that's what has allowed me to, you know, I, in the industry, when I started, I was actually a trainee artist and then that was 17 years ago. And I, I got into game design because I was curious about game design. And then I got into leading teams. I became a game lead at Wooga. That was my first role as a lead. And I started getting interested in leadership. And now, like, I'm 36 and I'm getting interested in entrepreneurship. And, you know, so it's, it's something that I feel like, you know, not, not feeling like I'm setting my ways and I've learned everything there is to learn. I will just focus on this one thing. Like, I'm very open and... And I, I think that has served me well. And I think, for example, in Supercell, I was able to practice that a lot because it was a company where making mistakes wasn't frowned upon. You know, it was, it was there actually that I learned to accept that, you know, failing is just a part of the journey. It's actually, failure is necessary steps to success. It's not just, they're not like obstacles in a way, they're necessary steps. 
And by practicing that there, I, I started to almost now just embrace it. Like I'm not just so afraid anymore to try things, even with this company, obviously I want to succeed, but you know, my mindset is let's enjoy the journey, you know, give it our best shot. And at the end of the road, hopefully we succeed, but if not, it will still have been worth it. So once you kind of have this mindset, it's, uh, I feel it becomes easier like to grow as a person, to grow professionally. And then other things as well that are very important to me personally and, and also at work is the concepts of, you know, fairness, transparency, and openness. Trust is very important to me in anything, like with my friends, relationships. For me, it's the foundation of, of a healthy relationship. And I sometimes almost to a fault, like I really care about those, those three things, but, you know, they have served me well. Like, you know, I try to kind of not care. I, I, I remove unnecessary noise. I don't, I really don't care about politics. I'm the least diplomatic person. <laughs> like I know probably like I say what I think I, I, I mean what I say. And, but also still like in a very fair way. And in a very kind way. And and I feel like it's just allows me to reach conclusions faster, solutions faster, collaborate easier with others. And and I think this is going to be very important for us in, in the company as well. And maybe, and maybe just finally, like this idea of empowering people is very important to me as well. Like I've had, I've been lucky to have others, you know, support me and empower me. And I was able to, and that's the reason why I was able to, to achieve the things that I have achieved and I have a bit of this feeling that I want to pass it on as well. And not only like it leads to, to great results, but also it's, it's very rewarding, I think. And the, these values that you uh, have shared, by the way, uh, I share a lot growth mindset as well. It's something that uh, I have learned over time, so I can definitely relate to it. And it changes as well your experience and your approach to things when you have switched or become more conscious about this mindset. And in this uh, also journey of building when you're in company, uh, onboarding people, how do you incorporate these values in the people you onboard or you hire? Is how yeah? Is it a conscious process? How how do you how do you connect that with the company culture? Yeah, actually, we've been very practical about it, and I will attribute a lot of that, like learning from Supercell and Ilka, uh, the CEO of Supercell. He he he's a very uh, he he talks there are a lot of blog posts from him and he talks a lot about the culture of supercell and inside the company he has put a lot of effort on actually creating documents like for the culture and i and i re- in the beginning like people would think that is this really necessary but but they are very useful so even like when i started papukaya i already had started like writing down things that i think are important for me and the company. And and then uh, Johannes joined me as a co-founder and it became a collaborative process. It never, it's, it would never like, and it's never ready. It's just this ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. And it started as a very ugly document, you know, lots of, you know, random thoughts in there. And then we started fight, fine-tuning it. Like, what are the values? And, and we had debates about it. And, and, then, uh, and then as it has been evolved, now we have like a nicer deck and... Um, and then Ilka even suggested, which, which was a, a really good idea, you know, look at, you know, situations you already went through that reflects those, those values and maybe put examples there in the deck. And then it forces you to think, like, are we even true to these things that we are saying? Because if you are not, then it's just words 
on a fancy deck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were able to do these exercises of, you know, is this, is this really, are we really, because we talk, for example, a lot about failing and taking risks. Are we able to take risks? Are we afraid? Have we been really pushing ourselves? You know, like it's a tool for self-reflection almost. And then when it comes to the new people to hiring, Every single candidate that has gone that far in the interview process, I show them the deck. I have discussions with them about it. I want to know what resonates the most. You know, what would they have it that that um, is not there to really understand like how they think. And then I have in the interview tailored a lot of questions as uh, that I'm trying to basically dig for examples where they've been in situations that have reflected those values. And uh, I, I think it's, it's been, of course, we are learning as we go, but I think that this has been a really good tool. I uh, totally um, support it as well. That's how I formed as well the studio I have like now in Berlin. So as well for the audience, it's a very, very useful practice to write down yeah, values, culture, the behavior desired and share it and build it, iterate on it. That's this uh, living document. So it's great as well that you've been doing it. And uh, I honestly don't know any other way when you want to be really serious and consistent about the culture you create. So that's uh, awesome. Um, and uh, we'd be curious to uh, exchange it one day with you. I have mine as well. So that would be interesting to you uh, as well. Ah, cool. See how we, we built it uh, as well. I call it the handbook. Uh, it's a team handbook as, as well, I built a bit further in the values, what I'm always interested in uh, understanding is as well in your position uh, as a CEO now, uh, you have a lot of uh, decisions to make, hard decisions when it comes to the project you're pursuing, the people you're onboarding, you're keeping, etc. how to spend your time and focus. So what are your guiding principles when you need to make uh, important or hard decisions? Can you share more about that? Yeah, I guess it's a, it's a process in a way with a few different steps. I would say that first and foremost, listening to, to your gut is something like that you kind of have to start from that in a way. I, I, I feel like we all have been in that situation that, you know, you know something doesn't feel right. You kind of know what you need to do, but you still ignore the alarm bells for, for mm. a while because it's uncomfortable and that has never worked <laughs> for anyone. So... I think I have gotten better over time. Like, you know, just listen to your gut and, and, and try to deal with the situation. And if, sometimes you might be wrong, but, you know, mo most of the times there is something to it as well. Or at least the opposite, not listening to your gut. Most likely, like, we, we will lead you to, to bad outcomes, like, more often than, than, than not, I, I think. So you might as well just go with your gut. Also, something that, that helps me nowadays And maybe this is just something you collect over the years after you've been through many different, many difficult situations is the outcome is almost never as bad as you imagine. So, you know, there are all these situations that feel so scary, like, okay, if I let this person go, am I going to be able to fill this position within like this time frame or, you know, will they be mad at me? Or, you know, like there, there are all kinds of things that people, people think, um, or, Or even killing a project, like killing a project sometimes can feel so personal to people. You know, you kind of, you can't separate like what, what is the project and you, and you feel like it's a personal failure. There are all these feelings, these really negative feelings that you, you don't want to face or that you're afraid of. But then what you start to realize is when you just deal with it, 
um, it's kind of liberating. And, you know, the suffering is more like anticipation, but once you are done with it, it's a, it's a relief and you get the learnings and, you know, especially when you start seeing it as an opportunity to, to just move forward wiser, you know, it, it's maybe not as scary anymore doing so, those decisions. So it's just something you have to kind of practice. You'll get it over time. And then, and then if you're doing, if you're making tough decisions that, you know, include people, uh, other people or affect other people. I think it's always really important to, which connects to the values I mentioned before, like to, to be fair, to be transparent, to, to, and also to be kind, to like keep kindness in mind and, and even to yourself, not even just to others, but to yourself. You know, I think maybe we sometimes have this tendency of beating ourselves up too much for the mistakes that we made or for getting to certain situations, but, you know, it's okay. You know, things happen. You don't have all the answers all the time and, just just deal with it and, and move on yeah and this is the most i would say difficult position as um, you grow in in uh, entrepreneurship these decisions are never super clear right uh, it's uh, it's uh, very important to have um, a system internal system like you have described to be able to always come back to to make a decision and and uh, be behind it uh, as well personally and one one comment as well about the gut uh, feeling it's something I realized as well, I, and I read it actually that with experience, the gut or the emotions are kind of our signal and rather to um, signal to us that there's something important at stake, but we may not be fully conscious. So trusting also our guts with experience has actually value, although we are in a world surrounded by data and analytics, you know, it's tempting to always think always with the head, but there's actually a lot to uh, listen to with the heart and, and guts, uh, actually, as you get experience. So that's really good that you uh, incorporate that in your internal decision making. Um, yeah, that's really good. That's very well said. Yeah, it is true that sometimes you don't even know exactly why, but but there is a signal <laughs> that you are feeling. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I think also some, something else that also helps in my mind is the thinking long term. Mm -hmm. Always prioritizing the long term is, you know, sometimes uh, you're in a really, really tough spot, like in the present and it's painful. And, and but, you know, I, I, I try to play this movie in my head that if I stick in this situation, what's going to happen, you know, next month, next year or, you know, like really think down mm -hmm. the line. And then when I see that, yeah, this is not going to lead anywhere good. OK, just rip off the bandage. Yeah, it always helps as well. Long term, there's a cost of. Um of inaction, you know, that we never see and in our human brain. We see the short-term consequence, but the inaction has other costs long-term that we don't see. Uh, so definitely helping to look long-term. Mm -hmm. Then let's uh, switch gear a bit with another topic that is also very important to me, and I understand as well through our conversation, uh, but also important to you, it's diversity and inclusion. So it's a big topic in gaming. Yeah, I wanted to hear more how you're approaching it, what the actions you took. So some of them you have mentioned already as well with the school, coding school. But yeah, for example, with a new company uh, as well you're building. Again, if you could share more how it's incorporated in your way of working and the games you will be making, how you're hiring. Let's see where to start. Um, yeah, I, I guess like what I've, I've seen from maybe some other companies, because diversity is a big thing now. It, everybody's starting to 
or not starting to, but well, maybe maybe it's a bit more like of a topic now and people are trying to catch up and, and incorporate more like, you know, diversity and inclusion policies and, and things like that. And I, I, I noticed that it's very hard for companies if they are just doing it because they think they have to do it, but don't really like honestly see the value in it. And that even, and even if, for example, in a company, there is a leadership team that believes in it, unless they have the buy-in of the critical mass of the employees, it's very hard to sort of turn it around in a way. And I see this like for many, many companies. It's not just like one company. And and I think like, and in a way I can understand that. So I've been thinking about this, like why, why, why is it so hard for people to understand like the value of, of diversity and and uh, and just kind of incorporate that. And my, my explanation to that is just that, you know, this industry is a very, it has come a long way. Like it's, it's, a, it's already a very mature industry and it's come a long way in, with homogeneous teams. And, you know, there's no denying that, you know, these teams have achieved great successes. So I can kind of, if you put yourself in the shoes of those people who are like now veterans and have been around, you know, they, they've, saw, they've seen plenty of successes many times over without diversity. It served them well. So why change? Change is uncomfortable. So what is this fuss all about? Can we just focus on our game? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that. And, and so I can respect that mindset, you know, that is true. And maybe I, I don't think that every single company and team needs to be like super diverse or anything. I do think, however, that something that worked five, 10 years ago won't necessarily work in five to 10 years. So it's definitely a buzz that, you know, I feel like people should start like hopping on, um, you know, for the long term. Uh, we should be, we shouldn't be, basically, we shouldn't be driving, looking at the rear like uh, mirror, you know, we should be looking uh, forward. And and like I said before, in terms of the business opportunity for Papokaya, we know now that you know, so many different kinds of people play and uh, the consumer behavior is changing. And and I, I think it's going to be really hard for teams who are not able to incorporate people of different backgrounds in the creation of, of games. And in terms of like Papukaya. I think just because I really believe in it and also my co-founder, Johannes, and not even just from business perspective, like we actually just think it's more fun, you know, being in teams that with people who are different than us, I feel we feel like we learn a lot, maybe comes from a place of being very curious as well. We are curious about different people and we want to learn uh, from their perspectives. So it's just a part of the DNA. And, and then we want to make sure that with every new hire, we talk about these things that this is important to us and we want to know that, uh, that you know, they're fully on board with it. And, and we discuss mentoring, for example, a lot with our candidates. If we'd like to have uh, a student um, who has maybe this kind of background, would you like, how could we support somebody like that? So we have a lot of discussion like this already in the, in the interview phase. All right. So as we were talking uh, yeah, about the importance of uh, diversity and inclusion, it's a really good point, but it's uh, not also seen or understood as a very important topic. I think us also, we have been through our own uh, career in gaming, starting even like earlier, like 15 years ago. As a, a minority as well, women in gaming, I think it's also an important fact to knowledge. So I was curious as well in your journey as a woman in game and even today as a CEO, a female CEO, 
What are the challenges you're facing uh, in this position or have faced in your past career, you know, as a woman in games, if you would like to share a bit more about it? Yeah, I would say a common thread since the beginning of the career is that, you know, there are biases that people have um, or beliefs that sometimes are not even conscious about, you know, gender and You know, sometimes as a minority, you are at the receiving end of a lot of assumptions. And, you know, like people don't see you immediately as an individual. They see you as your gender in a way. And then a lot of assumptions come from that. And then the first, my first memory actually of something like that was my first job in Brazil, where I entered a room. So the company was maybe 15 people in just one small room, just guys. It was my first job. I, I thought it was going to be super fun working with games, you know, really relaxed people. And everybody was just serious and quiet. And it was a really, really awkward place, like for a week about it. And then, and then as the days passed, they start to relax more and, you know, joke a little bit more and then cut to the scene. Like then, you know, they, they came out of their shell and were being super fun. And, you know, we were very close and it, it, played around a lot. We goofed around a lot. It was really, really great environment. But then I asked like, well, where was all this in the first way, you know, in the beginning, that was so weird. And then they said, well, we just weren't sure how to deal with a lady. And then I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human being, you know, uh, I mean, how do you deal with human beings? <laughs> you know, like you talk to them, you, You try to connect with them and, you know, we may share some opinions or may not, or, you know, you maybe, maybe I find some jokes funny. Maybe I don't, you know, like you, that, that's just how you do with anybody. And, and then they, they felt that they had to somehow be proper and be careful to not offend me. And like, like I was this, you know, delicate lotus flower in a way. <laughs> and then, and then they realized that, no, it wasn't like that. Like I'm Drusilla and, you know, I, I have these interests and I find these things funny and just like any other person. And I feel like even though that was a long time ago, there's still a little bit of that. There are biases still. And especially in leadership, I think this is kind of common that people think like that, yeah, women are more emotional and, you know, maybe they're not as able because, you know, maybe they're... they're They have too much empathy. They care too much about people. Maybe they can't make tough, tough decisions. And I'm like, you know, in what world is that mutually exclusive? <laughs> you know, like, first of all, not all women are like that. You know, you can't just bucket everyone. And second of all, and since when being emotional is a bad thing? And since when, you know, somebody having emotions is not able to, like, make, it's not able to make decisions. So, you know, it's, they're, they're, they're different things. Um, so, and, and I feel like because of the lack of representation, especially in leadership positions growing up in the industry, you do have a bit of this feeling that maybe I'm just wrong, you know, like I don't see people like me in this position. So maybe these people like me are not meant to be in these positions and, and maybe I should be more like these guys. I should emulate them, but you know, that doesn't work either. That's just exhaustive and, you know, waste of potential and, you know, It's not a way to live, <laughs> not a way to work, not a way to live. But yeah, so, but over the years and also it has been getting better, like there is more representation and conversations like this and this kind of initiatives as well, like connecting women, like what you're doing now, I think they're, they're very important. And 
um, I, I do hope that it's going to be better for the next generations. But um, yeah, I think the challenges are still there. Thank you for uh, sharing. And uh, I can only share the same uh, personal experience as well as um, uh, really being the minority. And unfortunately, uh, being at the end of bias, it can be quite difficult sometimes. But yeah, we are getting there uh, slowly. And I think also by being in, uh, you know, in position like yours, where you can also build a studio from scratch as well, welcoming or creating different products, welcoming different people over time also, um, well, in the whole idea of diversity show that there are different ways of making games and uh, it's not a, a numbers game anymore about the legacy of who are making games orig originally. And then I had some questions uh, more as well. So you talk as well about the challenges, of course, um, as a woman in game, but like here, let's go a bit further uh, in your position as a CEO or a game leader. So really like uh, leading a team, leading a product and um, moment of personal anecdote, because I think these ones are very relevant for the audience. What, are, what is the biggest mistake and learning you've uh, made in this position, either as a CEO, if you have enough material already, or as a game lead in your career and that you're willing to share here with the audience? Yeah, I, I've definitely made many, many mistakes. Um, I would say the biggest ones have always been letting a bad situation drag for too long, which touches a bit on the topic that we talked about before whether it is keeping someone in a team or a company or a project uh, even though they weren't right for it. And, you know, situations like that, for example, are not good for anybody involved. It's uh, even for the individual, you know, usually I, I, what I've learned is that, you know, everybody wants to do their best work. So everybody wants to be the best version of themselves. And if somebody is not performing really well in a team or in a, in a situation, It doesn't, it has nothing to do with they are bad or, you know, or not good enough. It's just maybe where they can contribute doesn't match the requirements of, of that project. And so it, it's, it's, it's bad for, for the project, for, for your team. It's bad for, for that person who is going to feel anxious and out of place. And, and uh, I, I've been in a few cases like that, that I, I've seen that this is just not working. But it's so hard to kind of have that hard discussion with people. I just let it drag for too long. But eventually I, I did learn. And, and of course, the more you do it, the sort of easier it becomes. You do like a, a, try to avoid those situations as, as much as possible. But it will still happen like from time to time. But I kind of, I kind of feel, I, I feel like there can be like really good outcomes from just addressing that issue. Like just trying to understand with the person that what, where are we not a match and maybe where can they even be better? Like just help with that process. I've actually managed to, uh, every time that I had to go separate ways with different people, I kind of, I was able to learn from like, what could I have done better? Even like from the beginning, maybe, you know, more expectation alignment with the role and things like that. But also just be honest with the person like, hey, this is actually not about you. You know, this is, This is the situation. The role has changed. It's my fault. I, you know, like I thought that this is what we needed and it turned out that that was not the case. And I think you could be actually really good, you know, with these things and kind of having this sort of conversations and the people that I parted ways with always kind of always continue to something really great after, you know, 
and and I was able to kind of not you know we were able to kind of move on without hard feelings and then I started to realize this that you know th these are really tough but you know st sticking to it doesn't help anyone and actually when you just deal with it it's not it, it connects to other th what I've said before as well it's not as bad as you think you know that person will probably be happier they're not going to be like miserable mm -hmm. you know forever they will actually be really happy because this is not a good situation for them either for people who are hiring and sometimes unfortunately have to afford people out of kindness actually um, it is conversation that can go well uh, and I learned this as well the hard way and you are mentioning it it's like you are trying to find what is the best uh, place to be for both um, and it can be a, a healthy conversation as well over hard and um About further about uh, the stress, uh, as your position as well as the CEO, this will come. And uh, we, we know both of us being in these positions, uh, leading a studio, a lot come to us, external factors, I mean, life, uh, lockdown. So what is your uh, strategy or your, I don't know, um, motto to uh, deal with stress of life, of work and uh, keep the course, you know, of things? I think that's that's a, that's an interesting question because I've been going through like a lot of really stressful situations, and I some people have asked me like, do you even get stressed because you're so functional? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, if you could look behind the curtain, you would see the mess. <laughs> and I, I was wondering recently like, why, why am I so functioning? But I, I guess it's because I, you know, I just. It, it's again the you know the long-term thinking and I, I've seen through the years that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel you know it's um you are always going to find a resolution and and just you know just similar to the things that we talked about for like making tough decisions you know follow your gut remember that th the outcomes will never be as scary as you think um and be kind to others, to yourself. And, you know, for example, I'm the kind of person that likes to go at a hundred always, like I'm quite the perfectionist and I care about everything, small details, big picture. That can be really stressful sometimes. Like I've been told I care too much. Um, I, I don't know if that's a bad thing, but sometimes I'm like, okay, for, you know, can I go at an 80, you know, like, do I have to go at a hundred for every single thing? Is this going to make or break something like your, and kind of like not feeling ashamed of prioritizing my peace of mind as well, because that's important. So, you know, even if a day off, you know, like even something like that can be just what you need to clear your head and then uh, re-energize yourself. I think in the past I used to think a lot like, or I would be guilty, I can't relax because I'm relaxing and I have things that I could be doing, I'm not being productive and that, that would stress me out. And now I'm starting to be more like, You can't break yourself, so that's not going to accomplish anything in the long term. So just just take a break, um, uh, I, and yeah, I, I think that that helps a lot. And also talking to people, not not like just taking everything on your shoulders and thinking that you are alone. Because I think being a leader or a CEO, it can be a very lonely spot. You know, you don't have a lot of peers around you who do your job in a way. You're sort of that one person that has that role and, and you're going through it alone. But then at the same time, I'm like, okay, I have this great network of people. 
I have no shame in, in nowadays in approaching them and just like, can you just hear me out? Can I just pick your brains? Can, you know, and, and then when you talk to people, you realize that they've been in the same situation and I'm not the first and I'm not the last. And it, it's, it's very nice just to have that connection with others. Yeah, you mentioned uh, two important things, I think, uh, in this situation, uh, um, position with uh, responsibilities, uh, taking some time for yourself and surrounding yourself with um, um, a moral support network, very important to be surrounded. Uh, definitely it can be a place where it feels lonely. So I hope the audience can take this away to make sure that they have either or these two things. And to close uh, a bit of conversation today, I'd like to uh, look towards a bright future with you. And I have a um, few hot questions to close uh, this podcast today. One first, uh, what are the next big steps for your studio? Yeah, so we are still trying to complete our core team. We are just missing our game designers, so we are almost there. We have been prototyping a lot in this past months with uh, Johannes and I, and we did find a lane or, uh, you know, a, a, a game that we want to develop further. So now that we know what we want to do, we, we are building this team. And um, yeah, it's building still the team. And hopefully soon we will have a roadmap for, for the first uh, soft launch and, and just cranking up towards it. Yeah. And in the, in the long, 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 long term, I would really like to, to see that we indeed succeed with this idea of, you know, having more different kinds of people, different backgrounds. And, and I'm just very curious to see if the hypothesis really will, will be validated, that we will get new ideas and, and reach these new audiences. Right. And then for the audience, uh, you heard us with the open positions for an exciting new studio of Drusilla. So feel free to reach out to her after this podcast. Second question for me is, uh, who was your role model? Uh, either in the industry, game industry, or personally. So one person that really inspired you heavily in your journey. Many different people did, and it's hard to say just one. So I'll have to go with two because they kind of, <laughs> I can't separate them, but it is Miko and Ilka from Supercell, the founders of Supercell, Miko Koresoya, and they, 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 they've been, I, I've been working with them since Digital Chocolate, so from 15 years, and I started as a game designer. I was still very fresh when I started in D-Chalk. And Miko, for example, he has kind of unofficially been a mentor to me, like throughout my career. And I learned a lot from him in game design. He was the one who actually noticed that, hey, you are good with people. Have you thought about being a producer? Or And then the seeding, put the seed in my mind that maybe I could be more like a game lead type. So I, I've been very lucky. To, to, to have him in my journey and supporting even like this this company. And Ilka in Supercell, I, I did learn a lot from, you know, just seeing how he leads. Um, of course, we all still have our own styles. Like we just discussed this, that, you know, you don't have to be the same as everyone else. You have your own flavor, your own values in, 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 in different ways. But I did learn a lot of what I bring with me are, are things that I internalize in Supercell. And I think it's very much a, a reflection of, of the leaders there, Miko and, and Ilka. Like, for example, you know, this idea of embracing failure and just learning fast, taking risks. Ilka says a lot that, you know, if you're not making any mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. So things like this were very encouraging. And, and um, 
I think I built a lot of confidence there, like just being able to try things and, and get a lot of experience. And I don't think I would be here without that support. Very inspiring. And my last hot question, if a bottle in the sea, if you had one thing you wish to change right now in the industry, what would it be? So if I would change something in the industry, what would it be? Well, definitely, I, I, I am very curious about seeing, you know, different kinds of people, different backgrounds involved in game development. And I, I think there are great games that are not being made or ideas we haven't seen yet and that we could if we, we are able to tap into more diverse talent. And actually, I don't know how this is going to sound, but maybe a little less elitism as well. I think there is a lot of talk of, you know, what is a re real game? What is not a real game? You know, for some people, mobile games are not even real games or who is a real gamer and a real developer. And I'm like, come on, you know, <laughs> it's a, there is room for everybody. There, there is like huge demand, all kinds of needs out there who needs that needs serving and you know let's just all have fun together and learn from each other and and i think this industry could go a lot further thanks a lot uh, drusilla i totally buy the last line you said i i would like to see a future like that as well thanks a lot for joining today the podcast it was really great to hear from you and what you've you know uh, i've seen in the industry and looking forward to your games and teams that you build in helsinki Thank you, Sophie, and thank you for inviting me. This was a really nice chat, and also it was nice to hear your own input in, into, into, into some of these uh, topics. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership. Until the next time, 